0: So I think the first and foremost step is to make sure that you are looking after you. So typically we, we phrase this in the context of practicing self-care. So self-care are things that you do for yourself in order to promote your health and well-being. So self-care isn't, you know, buying a coffee at Starbucks. It's not taking a bubble bath. Like self-care is things like going to bed early exercising regularly getting out in nature booking a regular appointment with a counselor getting your finances you know in order like it's a very holistic open-ended approach to how you make sure that your mental health and well-being is looked after
1: unfortunately the veterinary profession can really take its toll on the mental health and well-being of those in it In this episode of the VET Podcast, I have a frank discussion with Canadian veterinarian Dr. Marie Hollowaychuk, who was a passionate advocate for veterinary team well-being. Marie is the CEO and founder of Reviving Veterinary Medicine and host of the Reviving Vet Med Podcast. If you are an animal health professional, you probably owe it to yourself to listen to this discussion.
0: You are listening to The Vet Podcast, presented by veterinarian Dr. Brian Greger from New Zealand. Join us as we discuss pet health issues from around the world.
1: Marie, can you just give us a little bit of your background?
0: Yeah, I would love to. So I grew up um, as a child to two veterinarians. So my mom had a companion animal practice growing up um, while I was growing up, and my dad worked for the government in in various different positions and so I was immersed in vet med from you know a very young age no surprise went into veterinary school and um, after vet school I did opt to pursue an internship so I did a small animal rotating internship in medicine and surgery and then I chose to pursue a residency so I did a residency in Um, in emergency and critical care and then spent some time in academia at the Ontario Vet College where I was assistant professor for five years. And since then, I have been closer to where I grew up. I'm in Calgary, Alberta, Canada right now. And I have still been practicing as an emergency and critical care specialist. But the bulk of my time recently has been dedicated to advocacy and education for mental health and well-being.
1: So where did this advocacy come from? Is is there a backstory that you can share with us or did you just fall into it?
0: Yeah, I'd love to. You know, it, I, <laughs> I guess I did kind of fall into it technically because it wasn't anything I set out to pursue in my career. I really always envisioned that I would be in companion animal practice, practicing alongside my mom, taking over the practice and you know, early on, you know, after vet school, I really felt that that wasn't really the path that I would ultimately end up choosing. And so I went on to specialize. And in doing so, I just really threw myself into work like so many of us do in this profession, you know, typical type A personality, you know, definitely perfectionistic traits, um, workaholism, and loved the work that I was doing. And really, uh, ended up spending most of my time doing that work and not doing a whole lot else. Now, remember this was, I graduated from vet school almost 20 years ago now. So this was before we were really talking about mental health and wellness or self-care and those types of things. And so like many of us in this profession, I became burnt out, which was actually the reason that I left my job as a professor in, in the vet school, because I, I loved it. There was nothing about the job I didn't love but I didn't love the way I felt. It felt unsustainable. And at the time I didn't have the words to describe it as being burnout. I just felt like I don't feel well. I don't feel cut out for this job. I feel like I never get a break and my health is deteriorating. So when I left and I moved closer to my family and friends here in Alberta, you know, I ultimately fell into the same patterns. You know, I I was now working as a freelance critical care specialist, still doing speaking at conferences and, and training members of the team and working in practice. But now I was doing it for, for my own, you know, for my own business, for my own solopreneurship. And I fell into those same patterns and those same tendencies. And it wasn't actually until amidst all of that rushing around and and working like crazy that I was in a car accident and the car accident really forced me to slow down. I had to take a break. I had to take a step back from work. And ultimately that kind of set me on a new path. And I used some of the money that I received from the car accident settlement because it wasn't my fault um, that I was in this accident. And I did my yoga teacher training. And it was during that month long immersion in my yoga teacher training that I started reading books on mental health and self care and meditation and mindfulness and boundaries and and all of these things. And I went down this rabbit hole for my own healing journey about what could help me and that then led me further down the rabbit hole of, but wait, I'm not alone. Lots of people in our profession feel this way. And I wish I had these resources, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. I want to make it my mission to get these resources to others in our profession who are experiencing the same things that I have experienced.
1: So what are the mental health issues that are facing the veterinary profession?
0: yeah, it's such a great question. So what we know um, about veterinary teams today is is much more than we knew, you know, years ago now when all this research started. But th- the trends really do, uh, and the studies do really seem to suggest that members of the veterinary team, most of the research, of course, has been done looking at veterinarians specifically, but they do experience anxiety and depression at higher rates than the general population. They do also experience, thoughts of suicide and um, have suicidal tendencies higher than the general population. Um, so we know from a mental health perspective that that, that tends to be true. Um, you know, from a stress perspective and a burnout perspective, depending on which professions you look at, you know, veterinarians can be on par and or higher, but certainly compared to the general population, um, you know, there there is more of a tendency towards you know, increased psychological distress, certainly in the work that we do as veterinary team members.
1: Is there a reason why vets and vet techs are in that higher echelon, I suppose, of people who have health issues due to their work? Is it something to do with their psychological makeup or the areas that they're working in or the stress that they're under?
0: Yeah, it's such a good question. And, you know, I I think that's one thing we want to, you know, be careful around in in how we phrase it, you know, because it would seem that because we see these higher incidents of certain mental illnesses or tendencies amongst People in this profession, we immediately attribute it to the profession, you know, could the profession be causing this and I think you and I both know, based on our, you know, decades of experience that there are some very heavy and difficult things that we deal with as veterinary team members. So I think that there are things that contribute to The stress that we experience in our job, just like there's things that contribute to other people's professions and the stress that they have in their work. It's not quite the same um, in terms of what those stressors are, but that can contribute. You know, to your point about why, I think we still don't know. We don't know whether we are, you know, somehow selecting for individuals in our profession who have tendencies towards you know, some of these, these concerns, there does seem to be certain personality traits amongst people in our profession that that do predispose us to certain forms of mental illness. So we don't get those personality traits from working in the profession, but those personality traits might draw us into the profession, so to speak. So, you know, the whole cause effect is, is really, you know, is really nuanced and I don't have all the answers. I think it's important for us to remember that Mental you know mental health is something that all human beings have and all human beings can experience mental illness i I do wonder, you know whether there are you know certain individuals who are drawn into certain paths and and certain um, you know certain professions just again because of their personality. It was interesting actually, there was a, a few years ago that a study was done trying to investigate just that looking at, veterinary students in North America and their adverse childhood experiences because we have a lot of research to demonstrate that if you have a high number of adverse experiences in your childhood whether it be abuse neglect you know being in a household with a person with substance use problems you know whatever it might be that for every added adverse event in your childhood you have a higher risk of developing mental illness of having suicidal thoughts of Dying by suicide, of, you know, even physical health problems. And what they found interestingly based on this study was that the number of adverse childhood experiences among vet students was no different than the general student population. So, you know, as much as we wonder, you know, does the profession attract certain people with these personalities because we do tend to see some of these different personalities at the end of the day, at least when it comes to childhood experiences, that's certainly not. A factor. But again, there's so many different things that it could be.
1: One of the things that does cross my mind sometimes. And I'm, I'm not sure what it's like in other parts of the world, but certainly academic ability comes a lot into becoming a vet, getting accepted into vet school. You know, it's that old thing where it's harder to become a vet than it is to become a doctor. Now, I'm not going to get into that discussion with my medical colleagues, but um, <laughs> how, how much of it is like that, that the people that are getting accepted into vet school are the high achievers. You've got to keep a high level of... Study a high level of achievement when you're at vet school. The same thing goes with once you are in practice. Yes. Should there be perhaps more of a selection for, I won't say psychometric testing, but what else have you got to offer?
0: Yeah, 100%. Brian, I, I think you bring up a really interesting point because, you know, what we know based on research amongst all individuals is that as a person's intellectual, you know, capacity goes up, their their IQ, their emotional intelligence, their EQ tends to fall off. They work inversely with each other. So we do, I think, have a lot of individuals in our profession, you and I both, I'm sure, have met many of them, who say, well, I went into vet medicine, you know, because I, I didn't really want to deal with people. I just wanted to help the animals. And these are very intelligent, you know, hardworking, high-achieving individuals that put a lot of pressure on themselves. Unfortunately, when those people are then put in front of people all day and having to navigate some of these very emotional and um, complex situations, I think it can be very stress inducing for them. I think you bring up another really good point too, in the context of veterinary team members, you know, I think all members of the team, but especially veterinarians being very entrenched in this, I can do anything and I am a helper mentality, you know. So this is, I think, what perpetuates mental health stigma or mental illness stigma, which is what very much holds individuals back from seeking treatment, whereby even if they were to have the sense that they might be struggling with their mental health or that they might have a mental illness that they would say, well, I'm just going to have to power through and deal with it. I've I've gone this far in my life. I achieved X, Y, Z in terms of getting into vet school and so on. I can deal with this. Or they're so entrenched in their helper mentality that it's very hard for them to be on the other side of that and to have to ask for help. And so those are things that can really contribute to a person's reluctance to share what they're experiencing and their hesitation in terms of seeking treatment. And those are unfortunately are not good predictors of outcome. If you have a mental illness, if you're unwilling to seek treatment or you don't disclose to people what you're experiencing, then chances are you aren't going to get the help that you need.
1: I think another thing in here too. You know, I'm not going to pick the eyes out of all of the all of the causes, but what has changed in my years now? Bear in mind that I'm probably been in practice twice as long as you have. I mean, I'm aging myself now, but I, <laughs> 1982 was my graduation year, so I'm, I've, I've seen a, a lot of changes in the veterinary practice. But basically, when vets enter veterinary practice. They go in there to help save animals. You know, that's all very altruistic. But in these days, a lot of it is KPI driven. How many consults can you get through in a day? How many bitch spays can you do in a day? Can you do a half hour consult, a quarter of an hour consult, a 10 minute consult? They've got this interaction between what they're trying to do as a caring scientific professional and what the business reality, and bear in mind that I was a business owner as well, what the business reality of running a veterinary practice is. So they, they're going to feel pulled as to what they should be doing.
0: 100%. And I think you know this better than anybody, you know, being a, a practice owner and... Um... You know, I think it's the pressure that our veterinarians and our team members are experiencing now is astronomical compared to what it was 40 years ago. Um, You know, I can remember spending time in my mom's practice as a young child and just the the cadence of the practice, the cases that were seen, um, the relationships that were built it's it's just a very different landscape now. There's tremendous pressures, whether that's due to corporate or just the general progress that we've made in medicine. I don't know. Um, you know, I think that another big thing that, that plays into all of this as well is not just the complex decision-making and balancing the business with the personal, um, you know, touch points in vet medicine, you know, is also the medical records that individuals are having to slog through on a regular basis. So you've got the business, you've got, your helper, you know, drive, um, your like, you, as you said, your altruistic, you know, desire to to help the patients. And then you've got the, the back end in the back of your mind, you know, well, I'm licensed and to stay licensed, I want to make sure I don't have complaints so that I'm dotting on my I's and crossing my T's. And we're seeing this in human medicine as well, where the amount of documentation and paperwork has just become astronomical. And now people are finding themselves, you know, to your point of, Practicing a medicine that they just didn't quite envision they would be practicing, where they thought they would be very much here for the pets and their families, and you know, doing what they do, what veterinarians do. And, and the reality is that a lot of it is like balancing the business and um, you know, balancing the paperwork and all of the other roles that they play. So, I think there is a general sense of perhaps. I'm not sure what the right word right word is. Whether it's people become disenCHANTed, or they, um, you know, are just surprised by the realities of veterinary practice, or you know, whether it just really creates a sense of burnout that they're doing these tasks that they feel are not really in alignment with their true purpose and what brings them joy as a veterinary professional.
1: I think there's a, there's another couple of things going on here one of them is the big elephant in the room that I'll, I'll talk about in a second the first one is reality vet programs on television i did actually have i won't call it a rant but i i did do a podcast on this a, a few years ago if people want to have a listen but I, i'm still on the on the fences as to whether they are of benefit for the veterinary profession because the first thing with these veterinary programs, these um, fly-on-the-wall veterinary programs, is that normally there is a happy ending. In real veterinary practice, often there is not a happy ending. So people come in with the expectation that things are going to be able to be fixed. The other thing that isn't mentioned is the actual cost of the treatment The big elephant in the room now, I think, is that if things don't go right, there's social media where people are very, very, very quick to jump on social media and absolutely slag a vet if something doesn't go. And I won't even say wrong if things don't go the way that they expected them to go or if the price is a little bit more expensive. One of the points that I try to make in my previous podcast on suicide actually was if people are jumping onto social media and having a crack at their veterinarian just remember that the vet is just the person doing their job they are there to look after the animal to look after the client if things go wrong they didn't do it wrong on purpose you know they don't spend their life saying oh I think this one can go today so you know I think There's got to be tolerance coming back the other way from the clients and Mm -hmm. I don't think that the vets, I know it's hard to say this, but they shouldn't take these kind of things personally because I look at so many posts on so many things. There are just, and it's that horrible term of these keyboard warriors, they are sitting there, nothing better to do than poke the borax Mm -hmm. at people.
0: Yeah, no, you bring up a really good point, and there's so much to unpack there. You know, um, research would suggest that uh, in general, since the start of the pandemic, that rudeness and incivility amongst individuals, the general public, is on the rise. People feel much more inclined to, um, you know, speak their minds, to, to react unfiltered, to shout from the rooftops or from behind their, you know, computer and keyboard, and it's being seen across all industries more now than ever before. Like, think about 10 years ago. Did we ever have these signs that reminded customers to be friendly or they weren't going to receive service? I mean, that was not a thing. And now you can hardly walk into a service-type Place without some sort of reminder that this may be recorded and you might be asked to leave or, you know, whatever it might be. This is something that all professionals are facing. And indeed, I think the world would benefit from more kindness, more understanding and more empathy on all sides of it. Because as you said, we're all human beings. We're all going to make mistakes. I've made many mistakes in my career. Um, Some of those have resulted in patient death. I'm horrified to say, but that's the reality of it. And none of those did I intend to do on purpose. Um, I wish I could take them all back. And unfortunately, when we try to do good in medicine, we can do harm and it's not intentional it is because we're human so i think we first need to be kind to ourselves as team members you know in this profession which demands a lot of us and yes if we could receive similar kindness and understanding from clients that would be that would be amazing i I think you know the reality is is that when individuals in some circumstances have these reactions um, you know, they, they really are seeing the situation just from their own perspective and that, you know, I've lost this pet or I've had to, had to pay this thousand dollar bill or whatever it is. They're unable to see the bigger picture to your point about, you know, the TV shows and and whatever it, TV and media have always distorted, you know, what reality is. I, I think back to, you know, 10 years ago when I used to teach CPR, I used to do a lot of CPR training. And that was one of the biggest things I had to harp on our own team members was to remind them that, you know, the outcome from CPR is generally not good. It's not what you see on ER and Chicago Hope and all of the shows that were airing, you know, more than a decade ago, because there was research to show that on TV, it was something like only one in 10 patients that underwent CPR died. And it's, Really, quite the opposite when we think about the outcomes. So, yeah, great reminder for pet owners to know that that's your, what you're seeing is not necessarily reality. There's a team that is behind the scenes working very hard to do everything they can to save your pet, balancing, you know, best medicine with the cost of that care, knowing that, you know, pet owners, for the most part, unless they have insurance, are paying out of pocket. And, There's a lot of situations that we experience that are very morally stressful, where we're caught between this, my client doesn't have a lot of money, and I want to do what's best for this pet. And, you know, how how do we kind of meet in the middle? And how do I sleep at night as a veterinary caregiver, knowing that I've done the best I can, you know, for my patients and their, you know, their families?
1: Okay, so we've painted the profession with a, a grey wash. Now, let's just say <laughs> the profession is a great profession and I love my profession. So it let, let's look at it from the positive point of view. How, as a veterinarian or a, a veterinary professional, a vet tech, how do we know that we are under stress, having mental health issues and Equally, because we are a tight knit working group, are there signs and triggers that other members of the group of of the, the veterinary team can pick up on to say, hang on a second, I think this person may be in a little bit of trouble.
0: Yeah, such a good question. And I want to back up a moment and just say, I I love veterinary medicine. (laughs) Like I, I mean, you you couldn't have forced me to do anything differently with my life. I was just thinking today actually how much I'm so grateful to, to do the work that I do because it does help team members to stay in this profession long term. And what that means is that there's more patients and families that we can help. And what that means is that we're making the world a better place because. People are, you know, able to keep their pets and and pets bring us such joy. So I think digging into that why of what we do is such an important piece, you know, to your point about what we can do as team members looking out for each other. I think you you really hit the nail on the head right there, which is really to notice your team, to check in with your team, notice if a team member is behaving in a way that seems very uncharacteristic for them. Um, once again, I think we are surrounded by clients and, and members of the public who at times can be very emotionally charged when, when they come into the practice. And I hear this from team members I work with all the time where they say, you know, the more reactive our clients become, then the more reactive we are. And then pretty soon it's just this emotionally charged environment that we're all trying to work within. So I recognize that emotions can be running high and if you're working with someone and You see them burst into tears one day and you've never seen them cry before or they lose their temper and they yell at someone and you've never heard them raise their voice before or they seem very withdrawn. Uh, You know, any behavior that seems very uncharacteristic warrants having a conversation. And this is where efforts to reduce stigma are so important. You know, I think a lot of us hold this belief system in ourselves that, it's not okay to ask a person how they're doing. You, you, you shouldn't ask a person about their mental health. Like that's a personal question, but that's not true. And, and that's where a lot of these, you know, public service campaigns and other campaigns have been started to encourage these conversations. You know, if a person walked into the practice and their arm was in a cast, you would say, oh my gosh, what happened to you? Are you okay? You know, do you need some help? Can I get groceries? Can I bring some food by? Um, Or if someone revealed a cancer diagnosis, it would be the same thing. How's chemo going? What's your plan? Can I drive you to an appointment? The same thing goes for mental health. It's no different. So if someone seems not like themselves to express genuine concern and say hey you know i've noticed that you know you 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 seem a little bit different to me and you know maybe it's nothing and i don't want to pry but i just want to check in and make sure that you're okay and you know leave it at that and see how they're doing and and give them an open-ended opportunity to respond so i wouldn't ask them you know a, a yes no are you okay but I would say, open-ended, you know, a question that can't be answered with one response or a yes or no would be, "How have you been doing? What's been going on for you lately? Um, how's your mental health been these days?" You know, those are all very reasonable and welcomed questions to ask a team member who you believe might be struggling, and you know. I think the other thing that holds a person back sometimes is they feel like, well, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a social worker, like I'm not going to be able to help them. Well, you're also not a surgeon, an oncologist, or an internal medicine specialist, but you can still check in with someone about how their, their other health concerns would be, not for the purposes of fixing it, but for the purpose of showing support, for the purpose of listening, for the purpose of... Making it safe for them to say, You know what, yeah, i'm I'm really struggling right now and I'm not sure what to do, and then maybe you know directing directing them to whatever resources might be available for your team.
1: Might have almost put the cart in front of the horse here. Let's go back a step in in, in this whole process. How can vets actually protect themselves from getting in these stressful situations?
0: Yeah, that's a wonderful first step. And I think that's an important first step because in light of everything I've just said, if you are not first taking care of yourself, you're not going to be able to help any of your team members, never mind your patients and your clients and everybody else you're trying to serve. So I think the first and foremost step is to make sure that you are looking after you. So typically we, we phrase this in the context of practicing self-care. So self-care are things that you do for yourself in order to promote your health and well-being. So self-care isn't, you know, buying a coffee at Starbucks. It's not taking a bubble bath. Like self-care is things like going to bed early, exercising regularly, getting out in nature, booking a regular appointment with a counselor, getting your finances, you know, in order. Like it's a very holistic, open-ended approach to how you make sure that your mental health and well-being is looked after and then once you have tended to yourself and that includes all aspects of your well-being you know emotional physical you know environmental financial and otherwise then you can think about you know how can i assist others
1: so let's go to the other end of the spectrum then you have come to the conclusion or had it has been suggested to you that your mental health is a little bit tatty. What can you do yourself to try and gather things back in? And what other help is available?
0: Yeah, it's such a good question. So, you know, um, I think the first thing to recognize is, um, you know, everyone's mental health falters at times, right? So every human has mental health and it can be good in in some days and seasons of our lives and it can be not good in others and if you find yourself in a state where your mental health is not doing well where you do feel short-tempered you feel um, emotionally unregulated or you know high on emotions um so to speak or just yeah that you're just not feeling like yourself then i think one of the first things to consider is you know what do you have available to you from a mental health support perspective so a lot of practices will offer employee assistance programs where you can speak to a counselor at no charge they might have benefits that you can tap into a lot of the provincial or state veterinary medical associations also have mental health resources or supports for members of the veterinary team. So I would look at what you have available and I would do this proactively. I wouldn't wait until the time comes and you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't even get my head around this. Like today, look today and see what is is available to me as a resource for when I need it. And remember you don't have to be in crisis to speak to a mental health professional. You can speak to a mental health professional um, for many different reasons, and I certainly have for many different situations, some of them personal and some of them professional. And I continue to see a mental health professional on a monthly basis just for ongoing support. So that professional support is really important. And then I think we have to think of all of the other factors that contribute to a person's good mental health. So these are researched things that help. Getting a good night's sleep, tremendously beneficial for mental health and preventing mental illnesses. Getting outside, so spending time in nature or the outdoors, also very helpful, Exercise is tremendously beneficial. We used to think always of exercises for weight regulation and, and, and that sort of, you know, building muscle. We know more now than ever before that the benef- big benefits of exercise are mental health and in turn helping sleep, you know, which helps our mental health. Um, So, you know, I think those are, you know, just three very foundational tools that I would recommend to people. Um, There's various other things as well, in terms of mindfulness techniques that can help with our mental health. There's a lot of research about our environment, and how chaos and clutter can negatively impact our mental health. So, you know, getting on the Marie Kondo train and purging and, you know, tidying up can be can be very beneficial. So, Lots and lots of different things that can help. And at the end of the day, the important thing is to know that help is available. And if you're feeling this way, you don't have to feel this way forever. There are many things that you can do um, to take care of yourself.
1: So I think that's probably a good place to wrap this up, Marie. Now, there's no such thing as a a free lunch. You're a busy lady with your own projects. So now's your time for your self-promotion. Tell us about what you do.
0: Oh, well, thank you so much for asking, Brian. I really appreciate that. Um, You know, really, my mission is to improve the mental health and well-being of veterinary team members around the world. And um, I do that in many different ways. Um, Most recently, one thing that I've done is to create a website of resources that are helpful for all members of the veterinary team for promoting mental health and well-being. So you can find those resources at revivingvetmed.com. Um, I also have my own podcast with 20 to 30 minute episodes that are, are released on a monthly or biweekly basis that are also all about mental health and well-being, just really practical tools and strategies for all members of the veterinary team, um, as well as some that are geared towards managers as well. Um, so I urge people to, to check that out um, because you must like podcasts, of course, if you're listening here. I also have online programs as well that t- team members can register for. I have programs related to burnout prevention, workplace well-being, and boundaries. And aligned with those programs is one-on-one coaching that I offer. So for information about that, people can visit the website revivingvetmed.com or they can visit my personal website, MarieHollowayChock.com.
1: Marie, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Just to finish off here, if things are getting on top of you, just remember that a lot of veterinary associations around the world have counselling services, often free. I've just done a quick search through the internet, not by any means exhaustive. New Zealand Veterinary Association have got a welfare hub which has got free counselling. The Australian Veterinary Association have got a counselling service. The Canadian Veterinary Medical Association have also got a large number of veterinary health and welfare resources. Please, if you are struggling, just reach out. And that's it for another episode of the VET Podcast. All of our links are in one place at beacons.ai slash vetpodcast. That is B-E-A-C-O-N-S dot A-I slash vetpodcast. On behalf of me, Brian Greger, and everybody else involved in the making of this podcast, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again soon.